Liberty. Good morning, church. It's really such a privilege to be able to share with you this morning. And as you can see, I'm not coming to you from the church auditorium. I'm in a slightly different venue in line with today's topic. And my prayer is that whatever I share is going to speak to your hearts, no matter where you're found, no matter what battle and situation you're facing, that the Spirit of God is going to show up and minister so deeply into your heart. The title of my sermon today is 12 Stones because the passage that I want to share on is found in the book of Joshua when the Israelites were crossed over into the promised land. And it's so powerful symbolically because it shows us how to begin to step out and, and move in the promises of God. Can someone type in the chat, I'm ready to cross over. I'm ready to cross over. And as we observe how Israel crosses the river Jordan and begins to step into the land of promise, we begin to catch a glimpse of what it looks like to cross over from, from wilderness to promise, from restriction to abundance, from bondage to freedom. And we begin to see what it means to walk out the promises of God. It is important because there are some Christians today who are still living in the wilderness even after having encountered Christ. And in fact, some of them are, are satisfied and comfortable with continuing to be in the wilderness, continuing to receive the, the, the manna and provision of God, but not fully walking in the promises of God. And these Christians are characterized by an attitude of, of being able to embrace Christ and what He did on the cross, but they don't walk in the victory that Christ has won for them every single day. And so I want to ask you this question. Do you want to be a wilderness Christian or do you want to be a victorious Christian? Before we go into the passage, I want to share on the topic of forgetfulness. Have you ever forgotten something that's very, very important to you? If you've forgotten something before and you remember that, that, that memory right now, that incident right now, just give yourself a pat on the back because all of us, you know, have really forgotten something important before. Humans are forgetful by nature. And the more stressed and tired we are, the easier it is to forget. And even when we begin to grow older, we, we get so much more forgetful. My children laugh at me every single day. You can ask my family. Somehow, every time we are ready to go out for an appointment, I lose my glasses or my handphone, and my children will roll their eyes at me and begin dragging their feet around the house to look for daddy's spectacles. And I remember there was one time when Sarah and I were helping to plan a conference for Glad Tidings, and we were exhausted. We were tired. We were running on fumes. And, uh, and one evening, as we drove out from the conference for dinner, I remember that Sarah was driving. And as we drove past the guardhouse, she jam-braked suddenly, and the car screeched to a stop. And she slammed her hands on the steering wheel and she said, Oh no, Roger, I've left my car keys in the hall. What are we going to do? We've got to turn back now. And I looked at her in confusion because she's driving her own car. So obviously, she has to have her keys in order to, 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 to be driving. And really, that's how forgetful that we are. But jokes aside, even God knows that we are forgetful. Over and over in the Bible, you know, it, it talks about how God's people um, forget his, his, his deliverance, forget His faithfulness, forget His goodness. And even when they are in the, the wilderness, we see that they forgot His great acts of deliverance in, uh, in Egypt, 
when he sent the ten miraculous plagues, they forget the miraculous parting of the Red Sea. They forget the, the manna falling from heaven every morning for them to, 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 to eat and, and to, as their sustenance. They forget that the water came from the rock. And that's what happened when they heard the report of the spies. They decided to react in fear. The moment they heard the wrong report, they forgot all they had seen. They forgot all they had heard before. And my question for you today is, whose report are you listening to? Whose voice are you listening to? And when you hear the report of the world, do you respond with fear or do you respond with faith? And so the Word of God is filled with reminders to not forget God's goodness, to not forget God's um, faithfulness, especially when we go through difficult times. Can you type in the chat today, we must remember God. We must remember God. When you go through a battle, remember God. When you go through a difficult and challenging season, remember God. When you go through a time of grieving, remember God. Remember His goodness. Remember how He has delivered you. Remember how He has made a way when there was no way. And because we have the tendency to forget, we need to find good ways to remind ourselves. And that's why today I want to share a passage that relates to this. And before I go in, I want to ask you a question. Can you remember a time when God encountered you and changed something in your situation and, and enabled you to be where you are today? Maybe you wouldn't even be alive today. Maybe you wouldn't be in the place that you are today without that encounter or breakthrough. Just begin to reflect on that pivotal encounter even as we begin to read from the passage today. Let's read from the scripture today. We're going to turn to Joshua chapter 3, verses 15 onwards. Verse 15 starts like this. Now the Jordan is at flood stage all during harvest. Yet as soon as the priests who carried the ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a great heap a great distance away at a town called Adam in the vicinity of Zarethan. While the water flowing down to the Sea of Arabah, that is the Dead Sea, was completely cut off. So the people crossed over opposite Jericho. The priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stopped in the middle of the Jordan and stood on dry ground, while all Israel passed by until the whole nation had completed the crossing on dry ground. When the whole nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Choose twelve men from among the people, one from each tribe, and tell them to take up twelve stones from the middle of the Jordan, from right where the priests are standing, and carry them over with you and put them down at the place where you stay tonight. So Joshua called together the twelve men he had appointed from the Israelites, one from each tribe, and said to them, Go over before the ark of the Lord your God into the middle of the Jordan. Each of you is to take up a stone on his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of the Israelites, to serve as a sign among you. In the future, when your children ask you, what do these stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. The stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. Amen. God bless the reading of His Word. Part in the story about erecting the 12 stones doesn't even come about until chapter 4, but I 
deliberately started in the previous chapter so that we can have some insight and context to the miracle that the Israelites are commemorating. Joshua had just taken the baton from Moses. And I can't even imagine how he must have been in fear and trembling, trying to step into these giant shoes of his predecessor. Moses was the one who went to Egypt and through God's power convinced Pharaoh to release the, the Israelites using the 10 supernatural plagues. Moses was the one who, who led them through the Red Sea and through the wilderness and through all those miracles. And this reminds me that in Joshua chapter 1, God had to keep commanding Joshua and reminding Joshua in chapter 1 to be bold and courageous. Three times in three short verses, God exhorts and commands Joshua to be bold and courageous. Which brings us to the Israelites coming to the River Jordan. It's swollen with water during flood season. And there must have been whispers among the people in the stories that they had heard from their um, ancestors from the previous generation, God had parted the Red Sea in the most astounding and miraculous way. And they must have been wondering, you know, now that Joshua has taken over, what's going to happen? Does he have carry the same anointing? Does he carry the same authority that Moses had? And there must have been a, a, an anticipation, you know, as the priest carrying the ark stepped into the water's edge. And guess what? What happened? Nothing happens. At least where they were standing, nothing happened immediately. Do you, when you uh, read this passage, did you ever realize it was unusual, the detail that the Bible goes into to say that the miracle happened far away, uh, near the town of Adam, which is maybe over 19 miles away. Just imagine from here, from the church to KLIA, that kind of distance, that's where the miracle happened. And so when the waters stopped and receded, it was a distance away and it would have taken a while for the miracle to reach where the Israelites were standing. And so I wonder if the priests standing there in the cold water on the slippery rocks were thinking, what are we doing here? Where is the miracle? Maybe Joshua himself was very, very nervous at that point, waiting for the visible um, evidence of the miracle that God had promised him. What questions must have gone through his mind? Did I hear God right? Did, is, is, is God truly going to be with me, you know, as he was with Moses? He told me to be bold and courageous. He said he would go before me. Is it true? And let me tell you, it takes less faith to hear the promise of God at the beginning, and it takes less faith to take those final steps into the promised land when you can already see and taste the miracle of God right in front of you, then what takes a lot of faith is pressing on when you're in the middle of the process, when you're in the middle of the journey, when you can't see any visible evidence of God's hand and His breakthrough. In that middle when you're pressing in, that is where um, the faith needs to rise up within you. That's where you need to turn to God and hang on for dear life. And can you type this in right now? It's hard to be in the middle. It's hard to be in the middle. Because it's hard to be in the place where you're caught between a rock and a hard place. It's hard to be in a place where you need to press on when you can't see the light at the end of the tunnel. It's hard to be walking through the valley of the shadow of death when you can't see around the bend to where God wants to lead you. And it's tough when God whispers into your heart, I don't require you to understand, I require you to be obedient. 
We need to learn that principle sometimes. There are seasons where God says, you don't need to understand. You only need to obey. But it's hard and we need to acknowledge that. But when we trust Him and let Him guide us and let the Good Shepherd lead us, He will most assuredly lead us to lush green pastures in His good time, in His perfect timing. We need to know and stand firm on the knowledge, knowledge that God is always working in the middle, always working things out, even when we don't see it. Amen? I'm going to tell you a personal story that um, even my wife hasn't shared to the church before. When Sarah decided to go full-time, I remember how difficult it was for her. She sat down in front of her parents at the dinner table and they found it so hard to accept her decision. Her parents were so concerned because they felt that it took, in this day and age, it would take two parties, a husband and a wife, to be both working with good incomes in order to provide a good future for the family. And I just remember those months of tension in every family dinner, in every meetup, because they didn't agree with her decision. And Sarah was so gracious during that season. She never argued back with her parents. She was so gentle. She never got defensive. At times, she tried to gently explain the call that God had placed in her heart and tried to explain how much she, she felt about it. But she never forced the issue and she just continued to trust God and to be faithful. Then I remember quite a few months in, her mom suddenly called Sarah for a private conversation. And she told her a story that Sarah had never heard before. When the mom was younger and when she had her first child, which is Sarah's, uh, older brother. The doctors told her that she had a certain condition that made it very hard for her to conceive and to have children. And so they told her, most likely you will never have another child because of this condition. And the desire of her heart was to have another child. And at that time, Sarah's uncle had just received Christ, just encountered Christ and shared it with the mom. The mom told him, fine, if your God is real, if He gives me a baby that I'm praying for, then I will believe, I will follow your God. And lo and behold, she became pregnant that very year that she told the uncle that. And she gave birth to um, um, Sarah. And, uh, and when Sarah was born, she told Sarah this. She said, God, thank you for this gift of the daughter that I wanted. I dedicate her to serve you. And this is something that we haven't shared before you know, in, in church. But God had already worked out Sarah's story from before she was born. God had already worked out her story from 27 years before the point that she went in full time and, and, he, and provided the solution to the challenge of her family accepting her full time decision. But guess what? If Sarah had not stepped out in faith and persisted in walking that call in the midst of such disagreement, in the midst of, um, of such challenge, she would have never been able to see the completion of this miracle that had happened almost three decades ago, come a full circle. And I want to encourage you today that God is working things out in the background, that God is still writing your story even when you don't see it. And when the Israelites stood uh, at the edge of that river and stood in that cold water, if they had given up too soon and turned around and walked away from the river because they didn't see the visible evidence of God's miracle, they would not have seen the miracle that He had already done 19 miles away 
at the town of Adam. And how many of us have missed out on seeing God's plan unfold in our lives because we turn back at the last minute? How many of us have missed out on seeing a miracle visibly show itself in our lives because we, we responded with fear instead of faith when we were supposed to move forward and, and possess the promise of God, we shrunk back instead. We listened to the wrong report. I wanna encourage you today to be bold and courageous, to take courage. And so can you just type in this point as a reminder before we move on to the next main point. God is working in the middle. The second thing that we can observe in this passage is that unity is part and parcel of God's miracle. At every point, God instructed that a representative of each of the 12 tribes of Israel had to actively participate in whatever was required to be carried out that day. This symbolized that all of God's people, Israel, were to be involved, to be witnesses of, and to be commemorating the process of God's faithfulness and goodness. This is something that is so powerful and supernatural because when the people of God come together in unity, get involved in God's work, work together and get excited about God's kingdom building together, rejoicing in God's faithfulness together, this is the kind of setting that God delights in and delights to work in, delights to do His work in, in the midst of genuine unity. In Psalm 133, it says how good and pleasant it is when brethren dwell in unity. It is like precious oil that is poured out over the priest, flows from the head down to the beard and down to even the bottom of the hem of the robe. The oil is excessive and abundant and more than sufficient, more than enough. And in that place of unity, the Lord commands a blessing, life forevermore. Amen. Yes, some of the breakthroughs and miracles in our lives are very personal and individual. But even in those cases, we read in the Bible that others also get involved, especially when the miracle is shared in a testimony. The church is a witness to God's goodness, rejoices along, remembers the truth of God's unshakable faithfulness. And even in the midst of chaos and despair, they are reminded that God is all-powerful and all-benevolent. And in remembering unity, I would like to take us back to eight years ago when Glad Tidings celebrated our, uh, our 50th anniversary. It was called JAD, Jubilee and Dedication. And I remember the church coming together in such unity to celebrate God's faithfulness through the years. There was a, a run that flagged off in Jalangasing with about 50 runners from, from, from different generations and different languages. And I remember running in that group, carrying that torch and passing on that torch to the next person in front of me. If you guys were around during the JAD celebration, can you type in, I was there. There was a deep sense of togetherness as we remembered the sheer grace of God that had brought us through five decades, five decades of faithfulness from that little chapel in Bible College, Malaysia, led by, by foreign missionaries, firstly by, by Howard Osgood, the founder, and then by Pastor Do Donald McMurray and his wife. The memory of just standing shoulder to shoulder as we commemorated God's years of faithfulness in glad tidings was something that, that felt indescribable. 
And I'm sure that these 50 years had their own challenges, their own strifes, their own struggles, their own imperfections. But it's undeniable that one of the essential components of, was, was a divine unity among the people of God that was the foundation of everything that God built on. And this brings us today. We are only two years away from celebrating our 60th anniversary. God's grace has continued to sustain us and continued to provide for us. You know, and if we were to open uh, our hearts to what the Spirit of God is saying, I believe that He's saying He wants to build on the same foundation of divine unity among the people. For there He will command a blessing, life forevermore. There is a supernatural compounding effect when the people of God come together to participate in, to witness of and celebrate God's goodness that will last from generation to generation to generation. And if you believe in what I've just declared, can you type aloud Amen in the chat? Glad Tidings itself is one of these 12 stones that I'm talking about. The church that we attend, the sanctuary that we worship in, is an amazing reminder of God's faithfulness over our church over decades and decades. Let us put our hands to the plow. Let us build this church for this generation and the generations to come. Amen. So we have established two things so far, that God is constantly working in the middle even when we don't see it. And secondly, that God delights to work in the midst of deep and genuine unity. And the third point I want to share on today is what I base the title of the sermon on. Twelve stones. What are your twelve stones today? What are the encounters and events where God has, has, has marked your life, marked your heart and marked your journey? And you know that it has changed you forever. After encountering the Lord, Jacob walked with a limp. He never walked the same way again. What are the pivotal experiences you've had with God and you don't walk the same way again? Have you set up reminders and markers in your home to commemorate these experiences that you can look back on whenever you go through a season of darkness and pain and challenge and then you have a powerful reminder that God has come through before and that He will come through again. When we read chapter 4 of the passage, it's interesting to see that for the 12 representatives of the tribes of Israel, God asked them to go back to the waters they had just come out from, not just to take rocks from the edge of the river, but to go right out to the middle, you know, to bring out something that symbolizes the supernatural deliverance that God did so that Israel would never forget what He did, so that their descendants would never forget what He did, and that His faithfulness will endure through all generations. If a friend were to visit your home today, would they see your 12 stones? Would they see those markers where you can share real stories and testimonies of how God has delivered you in His great faithfulness? And are there things where your children can look at and ask you and then hear of this, the story of God's goodness over your journey, over your family's journey? In my home, we have a frame that sits on our piano that overlooks the living room and it says this, Choose this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. 
This is found in Joshua chapter 24, and it is a declaration of Sarah and my decision that our home will always honor God, will always serve God. And my kids see this frame every single day. And not only that, they see us live it out every day as well. And in preparation for this sermon, I spoke to some dear friends to hear about their 12 stones, to hear about their stories. James and Michelle, who, whom I've grown up with from the day we were youth back in, in, in Gassing, there was a season where there was a deep concern with one of their, their children when she was pregnant. And I remember how we came together, you know, as a church and prayed over them for a miracle. And then when they went in for the next scan, the issue had miraculously disappeared. And they have a poster that commemorates this event. It's calligraphy that was done by one of our other church members, one of our dear friends as well, Shin. And they hang it over their cabinet that overlooks their dinner table. Every single day as they have dinner, they're able to see this commemoration of the miracle of God over their family. And now they have three beautiful children as well. Another friend, Alan Pang, you know, he, he, he came to my mind because I remember that he constantly shares his testimony over Facebook. And it's always a picture of his baptism. And he's just jumping out of the water in such uncontained joy, you know, with his arms raised. And I remember hearing his testimony. And then I remember reading it in his Facebook posts. And then it even got picked up in, Christian, uh, in the Malaysia Christianity uh, article as well. And when I asked Alan about it, he said, yes, my baptism was such a pivotal moment for me. It symbolized how I was moving on from my old life to my new life and that I was transformed forever in Christ. And in that picture, every time he sees it, every time he reshares it, it's a marker and reminder of God's transformation over his life and his heart. And he will never, never be the same again. What a meaningful testimony of his baptism that reminds us of maybe our own baptism experience. And there was, there's a dear mentor to me, Donald, and he shared that he carries a devotional book around with him everywhere he goes. And it's called My Utmost for His Highest by Oswald Chambers. Everywhere he goes, whether he's at home, whether he's traveling for holiday, whether he's traveling for work, whether he's going out for an appointment, it stays with him. And every time he's got a few moments to spare, a few moments to glance at it, whether in a hotel room, whether in a coffee shop. It is a constant uh, fixture next to him. And he reads, he reads it as a reminder of how he wants to conduct himself under the mighty hand of God. And this is what Donald said to me. It reminds me that God's presence, assurance, and relationship with me is very real and refreshed daily. And my last example is not from myself, but from my dear brother Levi who was in Bible college at the same time as me. And he just shared in our staff Devo last uh, Tuesday about the time that there was one time he was going through such a difficult and rough season, struggling with the, his call, struggling with his journey, you know, struggling with his identity in Christ. And he was in Alastar at that time, sitting next to his father who is in late stage dementia, meaning he's, he stopped talking, He's lost most of his awareness. He's not able to respond. And he said at that point of feeling such despair and, and isolation and feeling lost, he received a text from his brother-in-law in Australia. It was an audio 
file, a recording of a prayer that his father had prayed over him when he was still healthy back in 2014. And five years later in 2019, that audio clip came into his, 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 his inbox and he began to listen to his father's powerful confession and prayer and prophecy over his life. And he began to have a reminder of God's amazing purpose over his journey. And now that audio clip remains one of Levi's 12 stones, a constant reminder of God's faithfulness. And I remember listening to that, that clip in the Star of Devo, and I was just crying as, as, as I was reflecting on God's beautiful reminder. And Levi kindly gave permission for me to play a short segment of that clip to encourage you today. So we're going to take a few moments just to listen to his father's words over his son. God will give you prayers that will come into your life. Hallelujah. That's right. A praying person is a victorious person. Hallelujah. As you pray, God will answer the prayers. Hallelujah. It's God is a prayer answering God. Hallelujah. Yes. And pray that somehow people will agree with you. Praise God in what you're going to do already. Hallelujah. They'll be glad also that you are, you are ministering there. And, uh, and you go praise God. Take the coffee thing also with you. Hallelujah. And praise God for those pastors or ministers or whatever people group. I pray, hallelujah, uh, they will be happy to drink your coffee and, and bless you also, hallelujah, in many ways. Lord, I pray, minister unto him, I pray, hallelujah, in this ways, dear Lord, hallelujah, Holy Spirit, come. Come, I pray, gently yes. come, Lord, dream, I pray. And step by step, show him, dear Lord, mm. what are your purposes, mm. what are your destiny mm. for him, I pray, dear God. Amen, amen. Because we are such a forgetful people. We need to set up clear markers of how God has marked our hearts and our lives. Would you type this in the chat as a reminder? Set up markers for what marks your heart. Build markers for what marks your heart. And that voice clip that we just heard from uh, Pastor Donald, Levi's father, isn't it so amazing? Isn't it beautiful how God writes our stories and brings them a full circle in the most unexpected and incredible way? God is working things out and He is always so faithful. My purpose today is not to encourage you to be living in the past, to be stuck in the past, or to be hanging on to the past glories with God. My purpose is to tell you that our God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And maybe in the past you have had some powerful encounters with God and it's been so long since you felt a fresh touch from His Spirit. God wants to reveal Himself to you in an even greater way this season. The latter rain shall be greater than the former rain. God has done so many miracles and delivered His people over and over again and He will do it again. He brought down the walls of Jericho in the Old Testament and in the present, He will tear down every spiritual stronghold and wall over our lives today if we would let Him in. God parted the Red Sea and the Jordan River for the Israelites and if today you're feeling overwhelmed, you're feeling like you're drowning maybe even at breaking point, and you don't even know where to turn anymore. Would you turn to the one who can part the waters? Would you turn to the one who's where the waves and the storms and the wind still listen to? Call out to him and let him catch hold of your hands so that you will walk on the waters that will almost drown you. Whatever God has done, he can and he will do it again. 
Let us go into a song declaring his faithfulness before I go into the altar call later. Would you please honor this time and worship along before I pray for you today? <laughs> 